Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this latest version of uh, Tales, Tales from Outer Space, where I take an HFY story from somewhere around the internet and read it aloud for your enjoyment. All the relevant links are down below. Like, subscribe, and all that YouTube comf to help this video and channel grow. Anyways, as always, I hope that you enjoy. I would just like to thank the following tier 5 patrons and channel members for supporting the channel. Fallen Angel. Buzz Kennington, Data Magnet, and Bob the Dragon. Thank you again, and now on to the story. All their saints are demons, written by Lords of Jupe. It's been said that if a human is your ally, you'll run out of enemies fast. It's also said that if a human is your enemy, you run out of time faster. Having seen the double-edged life that they live firsthand, both of those sentiments are trustworthy statements of principle, if not definitive facts. In my tenure as a ship's medical officer, I have borne witness to dozens of different classes of injuries and afflictions, ranging from the benign instances of wayward romances without proper disease or infection screening, all the way to explosive decompression's effect on soft, helpless, fleshy bodies. The space in between fools medical texts and my nightmares. Then I met the humans and decided that I would study a carpentry-based profession. I've become quite good at joining different types of wood, exploring staining techniques, and even incorporating design ideas from multiple cultures into my own unique style. Rather proud of my collection of small, functional containers fashioned after naval vessel storage lockers from the human homeworld's rather impressive antiquity selection. The reason I quit medicine is simple. They don't recognize it as a need so much as an option. Most of them can heal injuries which cripple nearly 99 out of 100 species. They can shrug off conditions which leave others as the tasteful mentions and assorted safety guidelines and maybe comparable honorable pictorials in the after-effects of different accidents and incidents. Their immune system is so robust that they've been known to inflict curative measures on species with soft, porous skins, transmitting their own helpful healing cells through their membranes and reducing the already accelerated delay between affliction and recovery into next to nil periods. Frankly, finding out an infant born in the harsh, nearly hateful gravity well of a death world is more capable of rendering aid by being placed next to an emergency client than I can after 56 Sedella cycles worth of experience and study. Well, um, it's enough to make picking up a hammer and nails seem like a natural decision, really. Then comes the facts of their unique, robust physical natures. They can exert themselves to exhaustion and operate at full capacity with the barest of rest periods. Some can stave it off even further, so long as they have a mild, fully legal liquid stimulus available and a clean mug to drink it. Watching dozens of work crews come to a screeching halt when they can't find the atmospheric components, pressure or temperature variances and all of them staring at a lone human dragging their workload along the exterior gantry of a shipyard is a thing of terror and majesty. They simply do not recognize the limitations as almost any sapient species should, could, or would. At first, I chalked it up to the fact that almost all of them are insane to such a degree as to influence their offspring to follow the same nigh-religious fervor 
for dedication, loyalty, and steadfastness in the fact of opposition, real and perceived, until such a time as I saw that even their orphans can, and did, exceed their counterparts from every other race that I've witnessed with them. One fateful day, though, it comes to mind. Whenever I think of the humans, I think of the Zedraxi insurgency. Zedraxi are, or rather were, insular, xenophobic, and downright unpleasant, and enjoyed that mindset on a cultural level. The humans, having met dozens of species by then, simply laughed it off and carried on with business as usual. That stellar cycle was a bad one for the Zedraxi people. They found themselves in possession of a shipping lane being used by the humans to ferry supplies for their perpetual missions of mercy. Their homeworld produces a vast amount of interstellar medicines, you see, as their soil has properties which mark it as a primitive yet productive, according to the lay scientists of my own people. We really need to work on our terminology, especially as it involves humans. The first quarter of that specific stellar cycle, the Zedraxi attacked one of the Mission of Mercy ships, the IPU St. Jude IV, named for one of their long-dead religious zealots who supported long-abandoned causes, ideologies, and medical cases. Miracles were attached to their venerated symbol, which I can respect, frankly, with their unique gifts being so inborn to them. A miracle or two wouldn't be too far out of place, really. After the Zeraxi bragged about how the religious personnel were fed into their own fusion engines, and the supplies shot into the nearest star, eschewing all value to them, the human simply smiled, closed communications, and went dark for a few lunar cycles. The warlike Gred immediately pulled every resource and ally from the sector of space, as did the Loibai Agesta, and both of the perpetually warring clans of Denai who infested the asteroid belts littering the region. All of those races had once, at some point, sparred lightly with the humans. The Zedroxy did not recognize what those signs meant. How could they? No human enemies were known, only their many, many allies. So many allies they littered the skies of thousands of worlds. Many with welcome signs affixed to places no human foot would ever tread, written in sole prime common tongues, brightly lit at every moment, constantly announcing themselves as friends of the human race. Today we talk about the humans, and I all think about wood. I grow it in abundance here, in what used to be one of the largest deserts. Once they realized that the interstellar sales of lumber would profit them immensely, they erased a desert and installed a jungle. At some point, it had been one. Presumably, they liked sand the first time. Their tastes change, I guess. For now, I'm happy. My fans are covered in sawdust, not blood. My wonderful friends have gifted me with a phenomenal contract, which practically guarantees me a lifelong program of labor and productivity. All at such a glorious profit. I can not breed fast enough to make heirs in sufficient numbers to render me poor ever again. This, incidentally, is from a species which lays eggs by the thousands in our season. Do consider that in depth, if you please. My factories now make coffins, 
We are the only ones who produce them for the humans now. My species' unique physiology of multiple limbs, saw-like claws, expressive, intuitive minds, and affable modes of personal conduct, were naturals at the job, practically born to be an ally to anyone and everyone. Well, not everyone, of course. You killed our ambassador for peace when you shot down St. Jude 4. We asked for this contract and for the help. They enjoy helping their friends so very much. So, Prime Minister Hagal, you have my sympathies and regrets to what is left of your people, the Zedraxi. You also have to get to work soon. Your friends are counting on you. End of story. Story number two. Survival, written by Provisional Rebel. Humanity entered the galactic stage in an age of strife. A war raged between a number of federations, and soon they entered the fray with the gift of FTL technology from the Council. Officially, the United Governments of Earth were neutral at the outset, at least. But many of its citizens were swayed by the liberation of death camps in the Thassian Imperium, some were hired as mercenaries and privateers, mostly looking for bodies to inflate their prices rather than considering them worthy soldiers, and yet more enlisted with the Council's auxiliary divisions. Regardless of where they ended up, the galaxy soon learned the horrifying truth of this young race. Humans cannot die. A grotesque oversimplification, because, as we know, Humans are every bit as mortal as the rest of us. But it only took a single pick feed recording a human stabbing a Thurisian soldier to death. He was propped up against the inside of a trench. After having lost an arm and being shot several times in the torso and left for dead by the mercenaries who hired him, the Thassian helmet recorded him as it tried to loot his pockets for valuables. But... With a single furious swipe, the human had lodged a piece of reinforcement bar through the side of the enemy's neck and killed him instantly. The rumors quickly began to spiral out of control. Humans rising from the dead to enact their vengeance on the enemy. They became even wilder when it was discovered that the soldier had both survived the battle with the aid of another human and, upon being returned to Earth, received what was now called Augmetics, from their more refined medical personnel. Thomas Jackson became a legend, and many journalists clamored to discuss what surely must be a harrowing but unique tale of survival. The council races were shocked when they saw the interview took place in a hospital specializing in these augments. Legs, Arms and even organs were replaced with machinery, some from accidents and some from wars and conflicts fought on their home world itself. But there was finally an explanation to be found from the experts in human biology. Humans lack bliss. In a whole of the known galaxy, death comes with the release of endorphins and a catastrophic wounds to the body see the brain drowned in chemicals to protect us from pain and ease our suffering so that we can die in peace. However, when a human body is damaged, it is sent into overdrive with potent toxins like adrenaline. They will bite and claw and fight with every ounce of their strength to survive and are capable of doing so, even after significant damage. This 
was not a unique mutation or a fluke that had allowed the young human to overcome death. It was a whole species who was able to shrug off pain and wounds and continue fighting for hours or even days if provided field care. They can be killed, to be sure, with enough damage to certain organs. But a human with an ounce of life left will fight for war. This, of course, allows humans to engage in what can only be described as suicidal tactics, such as their drop pod assault forces. The impacts of these pods could very well kill many non-humans who attempted to make a planet fall in such a manner. But many worlds were liberated in the decades after their introduction, and sieges that had lasted years were shattered. Perhaps now, then, we should consider the truth as we know it. Humans cannot die is a Theosian ghost story of a long war, but their failing to die is all too easy. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed, and if you do, please consider supporting the author, even by popping over and leaving a thumbs up or a nice comment just to show your appreciation for the story. However, if you wish to support this channel, there are links down below which will help immensely. I will see you all in the next one, and until then, I hope that you have a fantastic day. Cheers.